Welcome to the Football by Football Podcast. Welcome back to the Football by Football Podcast. This is the College Football Breakdown brought to you by SeatGeek, the place to get tickets to this week's game. Download the free SeatGeek app today. I am Matt Chatham, your host, joined as I always am by former, former Notre Dame and NFL quarterback Brady Quinn. How is it going, Brady? going well, Matt. You know, just uh, another crazy week of college football, and obviously I'm pretty excited because we finally have the College Football Playoff Committee's first rankings out. I know, dude. It's great. I, I, I've been sort of probably beating this uh, this metaphor to death in the last couple of weeks, but it does feel to me a little bit like Christmas Day. You know, like I've been waiting around forever. Tuesday night came. Uh, they're nationally televised event to announce a set of rankings where I'm sitting here doing other work, but in my office watching the TV and I'm thinking to myself, I'm really doing this. Like I'm literally sitting by and anxiously awaiting the release of a set of rankings that I absolutely know are going to change. Uh, you're looking at a year ago, I think it is like three of the four that ended up in the final four weren't in the initial. So I know it really doesn't matter, although it's more of just a pole position kind of thing. But the anticipation is real. I, I think it ends up being a really smart thing the way they're doing this. Well, it's a smart thing for ESPN, who's the one that's really bankrolling <laughs> right, right. off of all of this, because they're the ones right. that are, are have the first take in being able to present the rankings and then have reaction shows off of this. So ESPN is the one that's profiting off of all this. Yeah, it, one of the thoughts that popped in my head, you know, snarky Twitter. Uh, I, I I covered this, I think, when we first found out about this format a couple of years ago at Big Ten, and we debated the crap out of this. And my thought at the time was, you know, usually the way we're – scholarship dollars are rationalized and TV deals are rationalized is that, you know, you're, you're paid by virtue of a scholarship to be there uh, to play in these games. Right. I mean, that's, that's payday. Uh, but there's these new sources of revenue in the NC that the NCAA has these new huge deals with uh, TV sponsorships and all those kinds of things, where they had these little mini events much like the NFL, like the NFL has the draft and they have, you know, the open to free agency and uh, you know, the announcement of schedules and all the these other things. The combine, yes, these, these, yeah, like little mini new revenue events. And the NCAA is kind of dipping into this world. To me, this looks like, you know, like the NFL stumbling upon Yahoo as a new partner. Uh, the idea of NFL games over in London, just new streams of revenue. When I look at the NCAA, I look at this thing and say, hey, you've created a new avenue. Now, again, this isn't part of the calculation for what your scholarship is supposedly worth or what the stipend is supposedly worth. But it's definitely a new area, especially on a, on a Tuesday and prime time on a, on a nationally televised kind of thing. This is new money, isn't it? Yeah, it's new money. And it's funny, you go back a week ago, we had the World Series still going on. We had the you know, opening right, week of the right. NBA. We had NFL college football games during the week. And this week, all we had was basically the college football playoff committee rankings on Tuesday night besides one football matchup, which we got to get into because – Toledo, the only team to represent the Mac, they're at, they're ranked at number twenty four because they're undefeated, and the day of their ranking they get beat by Northern Illinois, and now they're, they'll no longer be a part of the ranking. Just brutal. Yeah, our buddy uh, from Football by Football is uh, Rocky Boyman. Uh, Rocky was working that game, and it, he and I both do a ton of Mac stuff, and 
they've been the adjutant. They've been that team on the back end of the rankings. You know, some of them playing Temple. Temple snuck by him. Temple plays your team, Notre Dame, gives them a run for their money. And, uh, and, and now that little part of the element goes away. So I think at some point here, you're going to probably lose Memphis as well. At some point here, you're probably going to lose Houston. There are a couple of those outlier teams that, you know, give us a little November conversation to have. But I think at some point that part is probably over. But this gives me a good opportunity to at least before we dive into sort of the meat on the bone here, at least just touch on some of the big games that help set the table for the committee to go aside and put this thing together. Your team, Notre Dame, they are a one-loss team, but they go out and beat another uh, an undefeated team in Temple uh, in probably what would have been the biggest game in Temple history there at, uh, at, at the, the Eagles Stadium on a big nationally televised audience. How do you feel about sort of your Irish coming away out of that thing and then now sitting just on the cusp? I hate to give it away, but just right on the outside edge of the, uh, of the, the top four rankings at this point. You know, I don't. I don't want to sound like a homer, Matt, and I don't know how I go about doing it. Besides saying that right. that game was a close game, Notre Dame had to come back in the fourth quarter to win, which was actually their third fourth quarter comeback under head coach Brian Kelly, uh, which is somewhat remarkable thinking of how resilient his team has been since he's been at the head coach at Notre Dame. But going back to it, they, they had a couple interceptions in the red zone um, early on in the game, and you got to give Temple credit; they were a top ten defensive team in particular in the red zone coming into that matchup so you knew they were pretty tough on the inside but also those were uncharacteristic mistakes for Deshaun Kaiser and really the Notre Dame offense to make it that part of the field uh, I kind of got the sense that the longer Temple held around uh, stayed around the closer that game was going to be um, there was another controversial call too uh, in, in the first half a targeting call on safety uh. Eliza Shoemate who ended up getting ejected I mean it was it was a terrible yeah. call in my opinion um, and it also ended up leading to Temple getting a touchdown, not coming away with a field goal. So that, that, again, made the game closer than it really should have been. But what we're starting to see, Matt, is teams are basically saying, we want to put pressure on Deshaun Kaiser, the quarterback, to beat us. They're loading the box, and they're really focusing on running back C.J. Procise, who's done a nice job of taking over for the injured Terry and Folson at running back coming into the season. Now, he's one of these finalists for the Maxwell Award now. And people are essentially saying, no, we want to see if Deshaun Kaiser can beat us running the football and then beating us throwing downfield with his arm. This past week, he did just that. He had, he had about 300 yards passing, another 143 on the ground, uh, and, and was very clutch throughout the course of the game. So if they can get their defense to play at a little bit higher level, I think you're going to see this Notre Dame team with an opportunity to beat Stanford and present a pretty strong case for the college football playoff committee to be in the top four. Well, uh, my ungainly tease earlier, and then now you sort of touching on that. We we now know that, that Notre Dame, at least at these initial rankings, sits at five. Uh, so that to me was was interesting in that they are a one-loss team, and there's a collection of them. Uh, and sort of one of the big questions going into sort of Tuesday night, if when these things are going to be released, are any of these one-loss teams going to sneak in? I, I don't think any of us will be surprised if there's a one-loss team in the final in the final four. Uh, actually quite likely that there will be, uh, maybe even a two. I will just see how it all shakes out. But we knew that there would most likely be uh, one at the end. But right now, eh, maybe not so much. One lost team of Alabama sneaks in. So you get a sense of where they feel about the Irish now, actually just sort of on the doorstep at five. 
But Alabama is that one one loss team that gets into sort of the the early start spot at the fourth level. Caused a bit of controversy. I've heard a lot of people arguing about this in the last sort of, I guess, less than 24 hours. But uh, where do you stand on Alabama sort of getting that initial pole position? I'm actually okay with it. I think Alabama's playing as the best team in the SEC right now. LSU was a great running back in Leonard Fournette. Defensively, they've been pretty stout for the most part. What scares me is I don't necessarily feel like they've tested, and I also don't want to put a lot of faith in quarterback Brandon Harris. Look, he hasn't thrown an interception yet this season, but Matt, he's only thrown the ball 18 times a game. He's basically relying on Leonard Fournette to be able to get them ahead in games, put them in pretty comfortable positions for their quarterback where he's throwing the football. So they're not asking him to do a whole lot. This match, they play each other this week. I mean, you've got to believe that Alabama's going to do everything they can to basically say, we dare Brandon Harris to throw the football and beat us with his arm. We're going to put eight, nine guys around the line of scrimmage. They might not even cover a guy on the outside just to see if Brandon Harris can actually complete a ball to a wide open man and not let Leonard Fournette beat him. So I'm okay with Alabama being in. I think LSU, to me, in my opinion, is ranked a little bit high. But, look, if they go in and they, they beat Alabama this week, they're very much deserving of being in the top four. Uh, so, for me, personally, I had a little problem with the Alabama thing for this reason alone. I don't like that there's that if there was going to be a one-loss team, man, it's one that's, that's lost to a team that we now know a little too much about to have respect in the loss. They lost to Ole Miss who also themselves lost by two scores to Memphis. I am someone over the over the year of, of doing this playoff thing, I always tend to weight a little more heavily the, the bad losses than the good wins. I know that's sort of opposite to what a, a lot of people feel. They'll, they'll value a, a good win more so than a bad loss. But I have a problem with that point of view, much like I think you and I have talked about sort of draft philosophy in these days where you're you're actually held in higher regard for we don't yet know about you, but really, really knocked for what we do if it happens to be a negative thing. And I don't feel Ole Miss, I've watched him not play well too many times now to see someone go down to that particular team, even though it was early for just the purpose of talking about a slot or two, which isn't, you know, end of the world. I still think Alabama is going to be a very good team when this is all said and done. But for the purpose of today, I think there are other candidates that should do better, especially with the two ba- the two Big 12 teams really knocking out of the park. Now, Baylor hasn't played a ton of good teams. They've started to play a couple. Uh, but hearing sort of some of the committee talk, uh, uh, Jeff Long, out of out of sort of these first initial runs of interviews, and mentioning the number of 500 teams that Alabama had beat, that hit me as sort of curious in that, you know, I always felt like as we went through this process last year, each week we'd hear some new quasi unofficial criteria that wasn't really what we were told it was going to be. They just come up with a phrase to sort of rationalize, which is what humans do. I think it's totally normal. But this idea of uh, open slotting to start this thing was contingent in part on how many 500 teams. I don't know. I just felt like that was a goofy made up, made up thing to put this big named SEC team in the very first run and, and to cause a little controversy. I think what this is, Matt, is the college football playoff committee helps to rank these teams in a way in which they can use the schedule to, to eliminate some of the decision-making they have to do. Now, I okay. don't necessarily believe that LSU should be ranked as high as they are, and uh, I don't even necessarily think they should be ranked in the top four for that matter. But the committee is using the matchup this weekend of LSU versus Alabama 
to basically determine which one of those two teams is going to make their case to stay in the top four and which one's going to be bounced out. Now, I will say this. Don't sleep on Alabama. They're playing the best football of any team in the SEC right now. LSU has a really great running back in Leonard Fournette. We know that. Defensively, they've been pretty stout. But my biggest concerns are with the quarterback, Brandon Harris. He only averages 18 attempts a game. They essentially take all the pressure off his shoulders, put it on to Leonard Fournette. So I think Alabama is going to probably be the first team that says, we're going to make Brandon Harris beat us with his arm. Now, he's done okay this season. I told you 18 attempts a game. He's yet to throw an interception. But eventually, someone's going to put pressure on him and is going to force him to beat him with his arm. And I think it's going to be Alabama this week. I think they're going to get turnovers. Minka Fitzpatrick, uh, Jackson in the back end, those guys have already turned some of their interceptions into touchdowns this year. They're, it's a very dangerous defense when you're talking about Alabama. And look, when you look at their schedule, I mean, they went down and beat Georgia. I know Georgia's fallen off somewhat since then. They went to College Station, beat Texas A&M. They beat Tennessee in a very t- tough grudge match. I mean, we should, we should give this team some credit. I mean, Alabama beat Wisconsin as well. I mean, it's, it's not as if um, they haven't played that tough in the schedule in comparison to some of the other, uh, some of the other teams that are within – the top 10 right now. And when you mentioned the big 12 teams, Baylor really hasn't played anyone. I think that's why they're ranked so far behind. And I think it's also due to the fact that you've got a quarterback scenario that you don't really know much about. Jarrett Stidham is now in a quarterback with the injury to Seth Russell. I think you have to take that into consideration. The committee talked about that last year with the JT Barrett injuries to Cardell Jones with Ohio state. So right now I think they're looking at that. And they're curious to see how Baylor plays the next few weeks to determine. Because this is a huge, huge month for college football, in particular in the Big 12. They've essentially stacked the schedule for the Big 12, yes. where Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, TCU, and Baylor all essentially play each other th- this month. So we'll see which one ends up being their slogan, the one true champion. Right. It, it, it is interesting that they've done that because they're in a pile. As you mentioned, Kansas State's sort of in that mix as well. I think if, if you're talking preseason scheduling, you don't know if they're going to be involved in it. So I, I, they're sort of in a lot of the cross-pollination during the month of November as well. Uh, it, it, you know, if, if, you mentioned that Baylor's played no one. I, I agree. Uh, they've got two teams that will probably be bowl eligible, but certainly not in this playoff talk. It's That's Texas Tech and West Virginia. Um, I, I think the greater issue I sort of get into is trying to figure out who's who and I, I god bless you brady for for teeing me up like that and and mentioning the wisconsin uh the wisconsin win that alabama had because lo and behold so did iowa beat wisconsin 10 to 6 it was ugly as all hell <laughs> it, it gives you it gives it gives them some sameness it gives them the ability to start having these conversations i'm going to shoehorn iowa into the conversation just for the just for the point that they're they're the outlier here i think we all they're kind of the national curiosity and then what in the hell are we going to do with this team? If for some reason they continue to run the table, have one great big night uh, in the, in a big 10 championship against maybe Ohio state or Michigan state. Uh, what, what is the committee going to do with the Hawkeyes? And one of the things that they do kind of have in their corner is some of those teams that other teams are going to use as their own resume pieces. You mentioned Wisconsin as a win. I think Wisconsin's a team because they've got a super light schedule too. that could end up a 10 and two team. Uh, so it ends up looking good for you. Uh, they also have that huge win against Northwestern, who, lo and behold, beat Stanford, who sits on the on sort of the edge of these rankings as well. So they have enough tentacles in places where other people are using the same resume items that even if your regard for them on tape is a little lower than others, which I think is fair, uh, 
they'll build a case and it'll make it interesting. And they're really going to be that team that I think this year would cause some chaos in the event that they run the thing. They'd almost certainly have to get a spot, but it would make for a different interesting case. If say Ohio state runs the table, looks impressive throughout and their one loss isn't that big 10 championship. Do they have, you know, you're talking about the defending national champion with, with all but one loss in the big 10 championship. Would they still be you know, against say Iowa, just hypothetically speaking, would they still be sexy enough to overtake a two loss Pac-12 team or oh, say Clemson loses one and ends up being a one loss uh, ACC champion, something along those lines. Can someone in the Big Ten lose and still get in, provided we're not talking about Iowa? I think if we're not talking about Iowa, there's a possibility, but it's going to have to happen in this regular season play, not in the Big Ten championship game. Uh, I think okay. if Iowa would ha- would perhaps beat uh, Ohio State or Michigan State, and they are indeed 13-0, and I think, I think the committee would have to give Iowa the edge over one of those two teams because if you think about it, part of the main criteria are championships won and head-to-head play. So if you're looking at a 13-0 and Iowa team who is a champion of the Big Ten and who beat maybe an Ohio State or a Michigan State who's a one-loss team, you'd have to give them the edge, right? I mean, that's part of their own criteria that they made out, they make up and that they put out there, even for all the media outlets to kind of disperse to help everyone out there understand. Here's what I think is so interesting, though, about the committee and these rankings. The Big Ten has five teams within the top 25. The ACC, right. just two. What they have is Clemson right. and Florida State. Yet, Clemson is number one right now. And when you break down their schedule, besides their win over Notre Dame, which was pretty close in a rainstorm, they blew out Miami, who is obviously struggling. They've already fired uh, Al Golden. They won yeah. at NC State last week, which was a pretty solid win. I think NC State is somewhat underrated. But who have they played? Wofford? Appalachian State? I mean, they won a tight game at Louisville, but Louisville struggled. Louisville's not Louisville. Georgia yeah, Tech? Yeah, Louisville's not Louisville. Yeah, so, so you look at the rest of the schedule, this week's matchup versus Florida State, it's really their toughest opponent of the last four weeks until they get to the ACC championship game. And, and now with Duke losing to Miami, it will most likely end up being North Carolina, who is a 7-1 team right now, yet isn't even ranked in the top 25. So that's basically what the, the college football playoff committee is telling you about what they think about the ACC, that North Carolina can't even get with, within the team's for example, like Toledo, who was in the MAC, who was undefeated until last night, or three of these teams in the American Conference with Houston, Temple, and Memphis. So right now, you know, Clemson can definitely not afford to lose. I think we oh, I already played out the scenario for the Big Ten, um, but I think I think this week this matchup, if Florida State ends up beating Clemson and they run the table, they might have a shot as a one-loss ACC champion. Um, but I, I have a hard time believing. Obviously, Clemson losing to Florida State, if that was the case, Clemson would be able to make it in as good right. as they've been this year, only because of the strength of schedule as well. And I think, again, you'd have to give, in that, in that, in that instance, you'd have to give a one-loss Big Ten champion. You have to take them over a one-loss ACC champion because of all, the committee and how they're ranking these teams right now by, by just their first, uh, their first ranking. Well, it's interesting to me, too, just in that, you know, this is still college football, right? This is still – it's entertainment and kids getting getting scholarships to go to school and these big-time, big-moneyed universities. It's always put on te- national television, clearly, on ESPN and CBS and Fox, and these are who run these giant bowl games. Nobody loves – and you work in this industry just like I do, Brady. 
nobody loves a storyline <laughs> more than than football media. So the notion yeah. that say as our sort of hypothetical went that that Ohio State last year's you know Cinderella national champion returning virtually everyone you know Sands Devin Smith. Uh, this big quarterback controversy, you know, with Cardell and then JT Barrett down for a bit and then Cardell back and now maybe JT Barrett's going to play. I mean, it's it's storyline ridden. Uh, you have uh, an excellent back in Ezekiel Elliott uh, that could be a, a Heisman candidate at that time. You've got one of the highest profile coaches in the country in Urban Meyer. You got all those things. Uh, you, uh, Ohio State's now one of these top recruiting sort of hotbeds as well. I mean, they're up there in the Alabamas and USC's of the world you could potentially have a team like that with my little hypothetical that say if for some reason they just got knocked off in that big championship game and they end up as a one loss. That's not the championship champion, as you mentioned, returning national champions though, uh, or, or defending or whatever the hell you want to call it. Uh, and then having to make that decision against potentially a one loss ACC, as you mentioned, or maybe a one loss Notre Dame who's not even in the conference. I, it, it, to me, it seems implausible just knowing how the media sort of, generates interest in these things that a team like that, like Ohio state would get left out. It could happen, but imagine the idea of two big 10 teams in there. That seems completely implausible, but in that scenario, man, I have a hard time seeing them just clipping the cord on an Ohio state Buckeyes team. All right, but I'm gonna move on here a little bit. I I did love your point though, that this idea of that the ACC is held in low regard with some of those teams like North Carolina that are at the back end of trying to get into the rankings, but Clemson is elevated by virtue of playing them, not not North Carolina specifically, but Georgia Tech, who's turned out to be sort of a wash of a team. Uh, there's really not much else on that schedule other than the NC State, as you mentioned. So uh, the, the clearly the win against Notre Dame is there is basically the rationalization for that that number one ranking. Let's pause for a moment to recognize our sponsor. The NFL season is well underway. SeatGeek is the place to get tickets to this week's games. My listeners can use promo code FBF in the SeatGeek app and get a $20 rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase. It takes less than a minute to download the app today. Download that SeatGeek app. They do a ton of of things that other ticketing sites do not. First, SeatGeek pulls in ticket options from hundreds of online ticket sellers to create a one-stop shop for tickets. When you shop on SeatGeek, you're, you're seeing virtually every ticket option available for that game. All on one page, no need to go anywhere else. Also, they have this great feature called Deal Score. It ranks every ticket on the market with a 1 to 100 value score and plots the best deals on a color-coded interactive map, so you can easily identify the best ticket values in the building at a glance. Finally, SeatGeek's mobile app makes the ticket buying process seamless and easy. No more typing squiggly letters you can't read into a box that the other sites make you do. On SeatGeek, you can store your credit card, and once you find a ticket you want to buy, you can complete the purchase with just two quick taps. There's no faster way to buy tickets. To redeem your promo code and save 20 bucks on tickets, download the free SeatGeek app today. Enter promo code FBF in the app. SeatGeek will then send you $20 once you've made your first SeatGeek purchase. Every ticket purchased on SeatGeek is backed by a 100% guarantee. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code FBF today. Okay, moving forward here, we, we really haven't touched on on the pack. Uh, I want I'm curious because I know you've worked a lot of those games out there. Stanford appears to be sort of the the leader at the the, the leader at this part that has the best shot. Uh, do you see any sort of movement potentially that would go on the pack or any movement here based on how they've sort of ordered them on this very first run 
where someone might still have an inside track to get back there that is Stanford or might be someone else? If, if I was a Pac-12 right now, I'd be really, really scared because you're not going to be getting a team representing your conference in the college football playoff committee this year or in the playoff uh, this year. I, I think based on how the committee looks at Stanford, ranking them at 11, and you can look at the AP poll or you look at uh, some of the other polls or some of the other analysts out there that predict the top four, many of them had this Stanford team within a top eight. Um, and right. they've broken into that at times. So they've got to feel a bit scared. And I wrote about this on our website, Matt, the football at football.com about how the PAC 12 should essentially be rooting for Stanford or Utah to win out and, and right. be a one loss team. Cause that's their only hope. They're not getting in a two loss team. They only have three teams right now that are in the top 25. And if your lead teams are Stanford and Utah sitting there at 11 and 12, and then UCLA, a two loss team all the way down at number 23, it's not a good sign for your conference. Uh, I think they've had too much of cannibalization within the divisions. And at this point, not only is the Pac-12 competing with essentially each other um, or Utah and Utah and Stanford, but they're also competing against Notre Dame because Stanford does right. finish the exactly. season, uh, at least the regular season, against Notre Dame. So not only do they need Stanford to essentially be a one-loss team or Utah to be a one-loss team, but – They've got to make sure that their schedule stacks up better than what Notre Dame's does. And that, that might be hard to come across when you look at all the opponents. But I think if Clemson wins out and they win the ACC, it probably makes Notre Dame's case that much better if they're able to beat Stanford. Um, and, 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 you know, as, as far as if Stanford was to win the Pac-12 championship as a two-loss team. Well, one of the things that I have to pinch myself about because I remember sort of going through this process for the first time last year and sort of watching the drama and maybe getting a little too fired up one week about where someone sat because knowing, as you mentioned, that they play each other or they play, there are other games that we're going to provide sort of the ammunition they'll need to jump. One of the biggest curiosities I found, though, on this initial set of rankings, which kind of struck me as odd, I think, for some of the teams you touched on before and what their resumes are, but Oklahoma State sitting down at 14, actually behind Memphis, uh, you know, both Oklahoma State and Oklahoma, uh, obviously Oklahoma being a one-loss team, sitting at 15 and 14. Again, not not out of the race by any measure. And as you mentioned in your in your column that you still had both of these teams as ends. In other words, still teams that are in the race. They're, they're still contenders. We know teams that from that, from that depth still were able to make it up to four a year ago. But the idea that they, they started them there, uh, that just struck me as so bizarre. And again, Florida State's in the same realm as well. Florida State sits at 16, Oklahoma at 15, and Oklahoma State at 14. Oklahoma State is that one team that actually has a few resume pieces. Nothing to put them in the top four or anything like that as a one loss, but Oklahoma State beat in conse- consecutive weeks Texas, Kansas State, and West Virginia. Again, I don't know what none of those teams are sort of heavy hitters, but they do meet that 500 criteria kind of thing, or at least these are okay teams in power conferences as opposed to Texas San Antonio or Troy State or something like that or the Wofford that you mentioned. So any sort of shock or feelings or maybe just that's where I expect them to be where the two Oklahoma schools fell in the, in the initial ranking. Well, I'm not shocked at all by Oklahoma's ranking. I mean, look, they're a one-loss team, and, and they are very deserving of being in the top 15. Oklahoma currently is 7-1 and sits at the 15th position. Uh, ironically enough, um, you know, I, I feel like they've got an opportunity to really win the Big 12. They're playing the best football, I, I believe, as a team right now of any of those four teams we talked about with TCU, Baylor, and Oklahoma State and Oklahoma. 
their defense is the number one in the Big 12 right now. And offensively, they've got Samaj P. Ryan and Joe Nixon really carrying the load. And Baker Mayfield is a playmaker, in particular once he gets outside the pocket. So Oklahoma, to me, is the hot team to look out for. And let me throw out another stat to you. If I'm not mistaken, when Oklahoma scores 40-plus points, Bob Stoops is 93-1. and How staggering yeah. is that? And so far this <laughs> season, besides the Texas game uh, and really off the other course, they've been putting up some big yards, big numbers. Um, but that's something to look out for. Now, you brought up Oklahoma. It's funny, Matt, because you're kind of on this side when you mentioned teams like Texas, Kansas State, and West Virginia. And I'm saying – I, I don't know why those are big wins. I mean, Texas just got right. shut out by Iowa State. Um, you look at Kansas State, they were absolutely blown out and dismantled in recent weeks um, in, in their approach versus Oklahoma earlier this season. And West Virginia's fallen apart as well. So really, I think it's the, the college football playoff committee is looking at the Big 12 right now and saying it's a top-heavy conference. Kansas State, West Virginia, and Texas are teams that are struggling to give us any sort of indication that they're even competitive within the Big 12. It's almost as if they're like a lower tier of the Big 12. Texas Tech right. is probably the only team that stands out to me that Oklahoma State beat in a shootout. But again, it doesn't say a whole lot about a defense that still gives up 53 points to Texas Tech in a win. Well, I guess the one thing I would say in, in that I, that I re- recall last year being a big factor, we, we, we debated this quite a bit, whether or not, hey, you know, is is winning sexy important? Is Are there style points? Is that really a thing or is that just something that we talk about? And as we heard sort of committee explanations when the final rounds came out a lot, some of the committee members talked about that. They talked about the idea that how they win matters. And that's something I think as a college coach who just simply wants to win in advance, a lot of them don't love that. They don't like that idea that score matters and you got to run it up, essentially. But the one thing that Oklahoma does have in their back pocket, you mentioned the Texas Tech being a shooter out game where they gave up too many but scored quite a few game ended up there oh, was it 60 to 27 so yeah you don't like that they gave up the 27 but they have been putting it on people they had the hiccup against texas it's there it's their resume they own that but much like stanford with northwestern uh, it's 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 you know and, and quite frankly alabama with with uh, ole miss who i think is a real shaky team They've got – at least they've won huge when they've won, you know, 62-7 to seven over Kansas, which is not a good team. But 55 to nothing over a Kansas State team that – you're right, they've been bad, but it's a venerable program. It's not someone who's sort of bereft of, of, of recruiting talent or something like that. They've, they've really put it on them. So I think it's something they should at least be credited for. And the reason I do think that – and, again, I'm, I'm not trying to sort of wave the flag for West Virginia and Kansas State. It's they, they, are, they are what they are this season. But the reason I'm willing to sort of at least mention those as, as at least valuable wins in some form or fashion is because Stanford Cardinals sits where they sit by virtue of beating UCF and Oregon State and Arizona, which hasn't been great, and UCLA that looked good for a while but has been bad since, and Washington and, you know, and Washington State. So the point is I, Stanford somehow has weathered uh, the perception that some of those teams they beat that are going to be bottom in Pac-12 teams, the, they don't seem to be knocked for them as much and end up you know, with their one loss on their, on their docket to a team that Iowa, who people don't hold in, held in terribly good regard other than the unblemished record, just absolutely mollywop the Northwestern Wildcats. So I guess, if anything, all I could say is it's a super mixed picture, and at this point it looks like there are some inconsistencies that will need to get flushed out in the coming weeks. 
Yeah, but look, you're trying to make a case for uh, comparing the Big 12 to the Pac-12, and unfortunately, not only in bowl season have we seen this, but even throughout the course of the year, the Pac-12 South last year was the best division of football, better than the SEC yeah. West. We saw that from their bowl performances, and even this year, you name some of the teams uh, that Stanford has beat. UCLA is a top 25 team. Uh, Arizona struggled a bit, and obviously as Oregon State as well, but this is also a Stanford team that beat USC, who's kind of climbing back up into the Pac-12 South mix. Washington State's no pushover, uh, and they gave Stanford all they could handle. In fact, you know, there was a really controversial fumble that was not called a fumble somehow that easily could have changed the, 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 the tide in that game, and particularly when you're talking about a game that came down to a last-second field goal that was missed by Washington State. So um, I don't necessarily think that it's so much of, of who, they've, who they've beaten in the case of Stanford. I think the committee looks at the Pac-12 and just thinks it's an overall more competitive conference in comparison to the Big 12 uh, in their style of play. And, and you talked about earlier style points. There's no doubt that style points matter. The committee can say whatever they want, but the problem is Ohio State, Michigan State, those teams haven't met expectations uh, of many, let's just say odds makers. Let's put it out there. Because when Vegas set the right. line that and people, and people don't win by that much or more, then all of a sudden you didn't meet the expectations of not only the, the betting population, but everyone else out there that kind of saw that number and was like, oh, they should win by two touchdowns, three touchdowns. And for right. whatever reason – I think a lot of times the playoff committee gets too enamored with uh, the losses, right? For example, Notre Dame sitting at five. They had a close loss on the road to Clemson, and I think they're enamored with that one loss because Clemson's number one more so than necessarily who Stan- or Notre Dame has beaten. Um, and right. I think that happens a lot of times with these rankings, in particular for one-loss teams, which is a little bit just stupid, you know, really when it comes down to it. Well, this is the final week, well, excuse me, the first weekend where we now have a set of rankings and we're going to get to see movement and we're absolutely guaranteed to see some movement because we've got a handful of big games. Clearly, Florida State and, and Clemson play one another. That could be the the game that sends Florida State back into this conversation. And, and much like you mentioned, Oklahoma that's playing at a ridiculous high, ridiculous high, ridiculously high level. Tough to say that. Alabama that's been playing at a high level. Florida State looked exceptional a week ago against, I know, Syracuse. But uh, losing uh, losing the quarterback and, and having uh, the next guy just step in and look like he's you know not missing a beat. Florida State's a team that you know, they, they beat Clemson this weekend and all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, you know, they're still there. Uh, TCU-Oklahoma State is obviously a huge game this weekend. Uh, this is really the first time where a really beat-up uh, TCU team is going to have that top test. And as you mentioned, they're going to have to go through the car wash here in the next several weeks as, as these Pac-12 teams that are at the top start to play one another. Iowa has Indiana. That's, that's not going to be a tremendous challenge. Uh, Houston starts to play some people in the American Conference. Again, they're, they're, they're sitting outside this conversation and most likely won't get into it uh, in any real serious manner. But they start, they play Cincinnati this week, so that's a, a first opportunity there to maybe take a nick. But as we head down the rest of the rankings, there's, there's not – likely to be much more movement utah playing washington washington can be a bugaboo to some people they they've done that in the past uh, a&m they sit outside the conversation you've mentioned that in the past minnesota without jerry kill now maybe provides a test for ohio state but a little less likely and the biggest of them all lsu alabama uh, we are absolutely uh, guaranteed that new final four uh, next week and uh, it's going to be interesting to watch how things flesh out Look, this is going to be a great weekend for college football. You, you talked about it. ACC, um, Big 12, 
and uh, the SEC. It's all, it's all going to start to take shape a little bit more uh, with the matchups between Clemson and FSU and obviously TCU and Oklahoma State. So I'm excited to see. I mean, that, that Oklahoma State-TCU game will be an absolute shootout. And I've actually gotten the call this week of Utah at Washington. So I'll be looking very closely to see if Washington – can possibly upset uh, Utah and ruin their season, much like they did to kind of USC in the Coliseum earlier this year. Yeah, they've got an opportunity. And, and you mentioned it before is if you're a PAC fan, do you want that? And because Stanford's still got, they've still got a rocky coast to sort of navigate themselves. So I don't know if, if we're still just two weeks into November and you're down to one team to cheer for <laughs> that has a plausible argument to get in. That makes it a little, a little, a uh, little dangerous, and we'll see where it goes. I guess as a Notre Dame, a Notre Dame alum like yourself, uh, the pack starts beating one another up as often happens in November, and that's got to be good news for them and for maybe the second, te- the, the other team in the Big Ten or even an ACC team that doesn't currently sit on top. But uh, that's happen every year. Pack twelve is as deep as you mentioned, and they. They eat at each other's sort of uh, tables. So, all right, Brady, that is all we're going to have for this week, man. Have a very good weekend. Have a good time on that call. Knock it out. And thanks for your your awesome insight as always. Looking forward to next week, Matt. Have a good week. That's all we've got for this week's show. Awesome week of college football coming up. We've got our rankings now in hand. We've got a set of games to watch. Crack a beer, order the pizza, sit down, enjoy this thing. It's going to be an awesome weekend of college football. Thanks so much for listening to the Football by Football podcast. As always, that FBF podcast can be found for streaming or download on footballbyfootball.com or blogtalkradio.com. You can download the FBF podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on the TuneIn Radio app. For daily insightful stuff from guys like Brady, myself, and many others, make sure to check out the footballbyfootball.com Facebook page and give us a follow if on Twitter at BFBFB. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the Football by Football podcast. Football insight by football players. Hi, Lucky. Hi, Dusty. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned.